for listening to the Spectrum of Possibilities podcast. Uh, I'm Monique Moreau, Monique Moreau, and I'm here with Amanda Tendler. Hi, guys. <laughs> and this episode is going to be about um, basically ableism, uh, passing as neurotypical and invisible disabilities. Um, but first, Amanda, what have you been up to lately? Well, we went on our road trip to go see the solar eclipse, and I was very pleasantly surprised by, you know, the two-minute span that we had there, and it was really, it was phenomenal. It was great, and just been back hanging out on the slack line, doing new tricks and all that stuff. What about you? Um, I'm starting to teach again uh, full-time, or well, like, what's full-time to me, which is like only like 10 students, but um, I guess like 15 students. And then recently I saw the movie Salmon Fishing in the Yemen, which I'm just like watching Aspie movies right now. Like we were just, me and Malcolm were just talking about The Accountant. That's like next on my list of like movies with autistic characters. And I thought that Ewan McGregor was really good. I don't know if anyone disagrees with me. It's actually, it's not about autism. He's just an autistic character. And it's about, they're trying to bring salmon fishing to the Yemen River in Yemen, in Yemen, I think, yeah. I think it's actually taking place in that country. <laughs> but um, I think he did a good job. He's very cute. I was like, I never realized how adorable Ewan McGregor is. But anyways... <laughs> Yeah, so that's what I thought about that movie. I have more thoughts, but I think I might put them in the Spectrum of Possibilities group because I think I could write it out better than talking about it, especially since now I'm distracted by Ian McGregor's cuteness. <laughs> but anyways, um, so yeah, we're going to talk about ableism and basically passing as NT and also because... When you have Asperger's or like you're autistic, sometimes it's classified as an invisible disability because people don't, when they meet you for the first time, they don't think that you're like disabled. And then there's also people who, who out, out there who are uncomfortable with calling it a disability. And like that's valid too if you think that it's not hindering your life in any way. But, or like in any serious way. I mean, I'm sure that there's like annoyances and stuff. But this is just, I think that even if you don't qualify it as a disability, you still experience ableism in your life. Um, and I mean, that's a bit presumptuous, but it is, I think it, everyone with an invisible disability encounters it at some point. And so we're going to be talking about that. Um, so when you're passing just to, to classify things. When you're passing, it means that people think that you're basically neurotypical. And then an invisible disability is something that, and I already said it, um, isn't something people think is a disability when they first meet you. So this could be something like you are hard of hearing. People won't notice that right away. Or like you're um, legally blind, not completely blind. Um, or... You know, you have like pain issues, um, like you deal with chronic pain or like fibromyalgia, like chronic fatigue stuff, or even mental illnesses. Like people wouldn't know when you meet a person for the first time, like, oh, this is a bipolar person that I'm meeting. And so you, so there's different 
issues with that when you um when you're dealing with people yeah so amanda what um I guess we'll talk about like our experiences with it first. Okay. So what have your experiences with like ableism been? Well, I think I kind of classified, I looked at like different kinds of ableism people experience and not just in the autistic community, but in all communities with disabled people. And there's just lots of overlap. So going from like the least offensive or damaging stuff to the most offensive, Mm -hmm. um, the least offensive we see is like inspiration porn mm. where it's like, oh, like, wow, you're different and I don't see value in it, but someone else does. And that's inspirational that they'd be willing to do normal things with you, even though you're different. And that's what a lot of that is like, oh, wow, like you can go to school or oh, wow, like you can take care of yourself or like, you know, you can run a marathon, you know, yeah, you can you can do any one of these things. You can have a relationship. Mm hmm. You can have a friendship. You can have any of these things. Um, and that's kind of like somebody's trying to give you a compliment, but it's more, it, it is still like a little bit offensive because they're just complimenting you for being normal, like doing something that everybody does, but because you're different, they don't have a perception that you can do it. Yeah. Or just <laughs> inspiration porn wise, like you see that all the time on Facebook. Um, people will post videos like, look at this person who is an amputee or something and they're like they ran a marathon and they're like and every all the comments underneath are like oh i'm so inspired to like do my own life like i have no excuses now mm -hmm. like yeah but not every amputee can run a marathon too like it's like i don't Nor know does every amputee want to right yeah like every <laughs> and same thing with autistic people like we all have different skills we all have different things we like to do and you know, even in our own little small community, there's lots of different interest sets and different, like very different things. And to say like, oh, well, you're autistic, so you should be able to like slackline like Amanda, or you should be able to play the piano like Monique, or you mm -hmm. should be able to draw like Malcolm or any one of these things. Like it's not inspiration porn. It's just different skill sets that could neurotypical people can also have. So it shouldn't be used as like, you shouldn't feel like more inspired to do it because somebody autistic did it or because somebody that doesn't have an arm did it. Like you yeah. should do it because you want to feel inspired by yourself. Mm -hmm. But that's very like benign, right? Like those things, you know, somebody's they're just trying to be nice, but they don't they haven't learned the appropriate way to give that compliment. And yeah. then some things that are more like systemic that are kind of middle ground or like with housing, employment, education, medical care. Like medical professionals overgeneralizing and, you know, thinking that, you know, they buy into uh, myths about autism just because they haven't, they haven't researched, they haven't, you know, they read an article one time or they knew one autistic person and they overgeneralize and try and treat everybody they meet the exact same way rather than, you know, asking them stuff. Mm -hmm. um, kids deserving to be bullied because they're annoying. That's kind of like a normal cultural thing. Like we know like, oh, this kid acts weird. He's going to get bullied. And that's kind of accepted as the norm. Um, and then comparing disability to death or tragedy rather than just a normal variance. Like the person is trapped or locked or imprisoned. They're lost. They're pitiful. You know, all these different things like feeling sorry for somebody. It's kind mm -hmm. of that middle ground. And then like the really like offensive stuff, you know, outright murder of disabled people like Hitler did in the Third Reich um, or by aid workers or even by their parents. Parents are, you know, mur murdering autistic kids because they're so stressed out. Um, or using the difference as an insult, saying, like, are you deaf? Mm -hmm. Are you blind? Like, using somebody's difference as an, 
to insult somebody else. Mm-hmm. Um, stares, staring at somebody, mocking their stims. You know, using the like short bus and then or like even using the tropes like categorizing all autistic people as serial killers, abusers, mass murderers, things like that. I mean, those things I think are are pretty highly offensive. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. The um, just from reading about like in the forums that I'm on for autism, like the ableism I see people commonly experiencing are things like they go to the doctor for any uh, any problem. Like, I have an upset stomach, and then they'll the doctor will see in their chart that they're on the autism spectrum, and the doctor will be like, "You don't seem autistic. Like, not that has nothing to do with what they're t- like there for at all." Or like a medical professional, like a psychologist saying something similar in therapy, like, oh, you don't strike me as autistic. Like, well, when was the last time you did a refresher course on autism? (laughs) Because, I mean, if you just follow the what's in the DSM, which every psychologist is uh, knowledgeable about or should be, (laughs) they probably wouldn't be able to pinpoint like what those symptoms are in an autistic person. (laughs) So like or by the way a person behaves yeah. or just by talking to them like in a one-on-one setting so yeah we got a lot of i i asked a question on cora recently like what what are the challenges that therapists face when working with autistic clients and i got lots of good responses not only from therapy not only from autistic people but also from therapists you know exp- and they were saying like yeah you need to you have to actually go and learn specifically about autistic people and be able to imagine they had actually I was quite surprised a lot of them had really good ideas and and from what I've heard about therapists it's like very scary to even go see one but then I read what these people were saying I was like wow like they some of them do really understand okay this is how you should approach that situation don't take like one of them I thought was really important and she said she doesn't take it offensively that the autistic person wants control over the relationship mm-hmm. and I thought like that is that has been me with every medical professional is I end up taking control of it and medical professionals are very taken aback by that yeah. because they're used to you being very compliant you know I ask for them to send me my x-rays give you know send, give me my medical records mm-hmm. because I want all that visual information for myself even at the dentist the other day I hesitated to tell her I, in fact I didn't tell her I didn't disclose it that I was autistic because I didn't want that to change how she viewed me and I didn't want her to treat me differently I didn't want her to you know and so and so I put on my good neurotypical like conversation, had a great bubbly conversation with her and the other girl there and they were all positive and happy. And luckily the office wasn't super air conditioned and it was like not a lot of people in there. So it was a really calm and easy experience. But still, like I didn't want to tell her that because I knew that it could change how she was going to treat me. So I didn't say anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And even that like change in the way somebody treats you, that's like ableism sure so if you tell a friend you've had forever that you're on the spectrum um and then they start treating you in a different way then like that's an ableist response like oh i should like even if your relationship was fine the whole time that knowledge shouldn't change the way you treat a person like and that's always something that that happened to me because i started self-identifying when i was 29 and i had like a whole bunch of friends that just kind of stopped talking to me and I was like, well, they're ableist. <laughs> like, that's what they're doing. They're being ableist. Yeah, and you just kind of have to let people like that go. because, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not going to go fix every person that doesn't like it. When I started saying stuff, too, I also put this stuff in there that people will use the phrases like, no, you're not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, that's happened so many times. No, you're not. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you seem normal. Mm-hmm. Uh, you seem normal to me because they're the judge of you. And uh, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. I heard that a lot. Oh, I'm so sorry. Or and I was like, <laughs> what do you mean you're sorry? Like, I feel yeah. the opposite of sorry to know mm-hmm. that I was autistic. Like, I felt like, oh, everything it was makes like sense. liberating and yes, like, liberating. Oh, this makes yeah. Well, that's why I do that. That's why that happened to me. <laughs> or this one. Everyone's a little autistic. Yeah. <laughs> that one. I'm like, it's like so vaguely ableist. Like, it's almost like what if if you it's basically like saying, well, you're a little bit neurotypical, though. It's like and I'm a little bit autistic. So we're, we're essentially the same. Like you're not there's nothing different about you. Right. It, it dismisses any request for accommodation that comes later, because why should you have accommodation if everybody's a little bit on the spectrum? Yeah. Yeah. That's what that does. It. it it prefaces that it makes it so that like why would i need to give you any preferential treatment why because because that is how it's perceived as preferential treatment rather than treatment that makes the playing field equal Mm -hmm. and so if you're the same if we're all a little bit on that thing and you say and people say that then later when this person asks for accommodation then it's like oh but they're getting something special that nobody else is getting no they're just trying to get up to the level that everybody else is at because the design is for everybody else yeah yeah (laughs) So do you have any, um, like, personal experiences, aside from, like, the dentists and stuff that you've gone through, ableism-wise? I think my major stuff, uh, let's think, because I talked about when I came out and, like, the responses I got, a lot of it was, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, like, it was bad um, to be autistic, (laughs) Mm -hmm. and I was really shocked about that, but before that, I mean, if you don't know if you don't like before you know that you're disabled or you or you have this difference did i know that i was being discriminated against or that i was like suffering i mean i knew people who were definitely ableist i would say i was ableist myself i would Mm -hmm. make definitely made jokes like that and growing up and you know made fun of people who were different because that's what we're socialized to do Mm -hmm. um in fact one of the people from the group sent me uh, an email with some of their writing it said that we take there's like these implicit beliefs that um being normal is what the goal is Mm -hmm. and so if you deviate from being normal um then there's something wrong with you so did people know i wasn't normal yeah did i know other people weren't normal and did i make fun of them yeah so I think it went both ways. And, and because who knows about who knows about that when you're little like this? Oh, be nice. Don't make fun of people. But then everybody does it anyways. I mean, there's those are all the the rules that you're told. But then what actually happens? It's like we think, OK, annoying kids are supposed to be picked on. Like people accept that as part of life. Everybody doesn't get participation trophies. So, yeah, like did I get picked on for being different? Definitely. Like I knew I was different by how others treated me. So was that ableism my whole life? Maybe mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know if I can define that yeah. clearly or not. Yeah, it is really hard. I because when we thought about it, when we brought up this topic, I was like, I don't know if I can pinpoint exactly when something ableist happened to me. Except for like when I experienced depression in my twenties, I was like, people would always because I just had no energy. And then for me, the older I've gotten, like the more physical like depression is. So it's more it's like less emotional and more like oh I just feel horrible. Like, oh, my muscles ache. Like, that's weird. I haven't exercised really. And if I do exercise, it's like the flu kind of like body ache. It's like, oh, well, now I can't do anything. And if I said that to someone, they'd be like, 
Well, I mean, that's just you being dramatic. And that's just like their uh, version of ableism. Like, oh, I don't experience that. So what you're experiencing must just be you being dramatic rather than like, oh, your experience is a valid experience that I've never had before. And it would be like talking to somebody who recently had surgery. <laughs> um, they were describing their pain to me and I was like, oh, I've never experienced that pain. So I don't know what you're talking about. But a lot of people tend to go like they try to say, OK, you're experiencing the worst pain you've ever had. And I'm going to liken it to the worst pain I've ever had, but I've never had surgery. And then it becomes like they they're not putting themselves in the other person's shoes. And that's kind of how I see ableism a lot of the time. It's like especially with things like depression or like autism, it's like, well, you've never experienced it. So you're just kind of assuming that your experience is like the same as everyone's. And yeah, so it's like we go, it's going back to the um, theory of mind thing where um, it's like you're assuming that everyone's perception is the same as yours. And like, I think that's where ableism comes from in general. Like if we were to get to the bottom of it, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's it's the source of all the isms, right? Mm -hmm. Ableism, sexism, racism, like you're not taking the perspective of somebody else. Um, you bring that up a lot when you talk about like writing characters that the people who are not able to write characters very well are not able to take on the perspective of somebody else. And it's true. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you can't, if you really can't even take on the perspective part, which is like what they th like, you have th feelings, thoughts and behaviors, right? So if you can't even get to the point where you notice the behaviors, right? You be notice behavior patterns, you talk to the person, you try to imagine what their thoughts are, and then you go down to find their feelings and then down to their values and, you know, who they are as a person like those are different for everybody those mm -hmm. are not those are not universal those are not the same so if you're not able to take the time to really think outside i mean when we think of normal we have this idea like describing characters and this was something else that they put in their paper um that if you say like there was an uh, i think their example was there's an autistic latina woman and another person Mm -hmm. So how do you automatically uh, classify that other person? White? Yeah. Male? Yeah. Like, White male, like... And heterosexual, right? Heterosexual, yeah. Like, if you just it's say, just, like, a person, that yeah. is the, that's the default normal mm -hmm. person. And I was reading this, and I was like, they're so right. Like, yeah. Totally. Everybody else has to have some sort of identity definition to differentiate them from this like no, this this idea that we yeah. have in our heads that we don't even realize of normalcy so if you say there's two people your automatic first thing is like it's two white heterosexual guys mm -hmm. like that is the norm of like that is a person yeah I think, and yeah <laughs> anything that goes away yeah. from that is like something that needs to be defined and that's that a, that is a very interesting concept yeah that's really funny because when in writers groups that i've been in when we when there's men in those groups, usually go to writers groups for women for script screenwriting. When there's men in the groups, they'll describe like, oh, she's 23 years old, smoking hot, blonde girl, like that sort of thing. And then they'll say, John, 27, uh, accountant. <laughs> and it's like, well, what other details about him are there? Because like the smoking hot blonde girl could also be an accountant. <laughs> and then all the women describe everyone like... Uh, John, 27, white, 
uh, accountant, well-groomed, like that sort of thing. And it's like, well, those are the details you need. But there's this thing where it's like the the cis white male, like straight guy is the, the default. Yeah. yeah. And that guy that uh, just recently got cast in Hellboy, right? Mm-hmm. He was like the, de- right? He's the cis, like white dude, like. And he got cast and he decided to step down because he found out it was actually an Asian character, a Japanese character in the story. Right. Mm-hmm. And he's like, well, no, like, I'm not I'm not going to play that role. Like, that's not that's not what we, I'm not the person it was written for. Like, even in like the character writing, yeah. it says like, <laughs> this is not me. It's not it's not default person. It's yeah, it's a very specific character. Excuse me for living. Then. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, we're not saying that. It's like. Well, it's like, yeah, you're the default person, (laughs) but then you're also on the spectrum. So it's like at the same time. No, (laughs) no, that's Malcolm. (laughs) Intersectionality is another thing we'll get to another time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, So then there's like, I think we've talked about this in the group a lot and the Facebook group about like functional labels and how those can be damaging and how saying like, for someone to say, oh, Monique, you're, like, high-functioning or something, and then for me to right now not be, like, functioning very well. And then I'm like, well, what's the difference? Oh, I can talk and, like, kind of lead a social situation and be fine. Like, we went to a birthday party recently. I'm like, oh, I'm leading this social situation. It's very weird. But <laughs> to be in that to be in that situation where... Um, like socially is that the only thing that people see it's like you're socially good so that means you're high functioning and therefore like less disabled than other people than other people on the spectrum like that is that really the guideline that we have and like to me that's ableist to say oh you can socially be okay then that means that you're like you're as close to normal as you can get (laughs) so like to me, that's those are my experiences like with ableism now ha- like self-identifying as autistic is just like people think that I'm like doing better than I am because I'm like able to carry conversations and make people laugh and uh, people when I meet people they automatically they'll add me to Facebook while I'm standing there they're like oh you're fun and cool I'm adding you to Facebook right now <laughs> and I'm like well that's nice and stuff and then they'll be like you're high functioning like some of these people when they hear I'm autistic they're like you're well you're high functioning like that's why we're able to to connect like wow that's like very loaded (laughs) so that's I think those are the ableism things that I experience the most is just that sort of thing yeah unpacking like low and high functioning that comes up a lot in our group it comes up a lot in person in our group it comes mm-hmm. because it, these are terms that medical professionals designed to use to describe us right mm-hmm. um it's it's a neurotypical evaluation of autistic traits and when you take into account that theory of mind thing we were talking about it explains why it's so often inaccurate i mean mm-hmm. it is like um you can have one day where you if somebody wrote your story that day you are amazing you're like a like you surpass all of the norms that people require of neurotypical people like people think like wow this person is like able to like go to travel they can 
have this conversation. They can go to a room with a hundred people in it and go mingle around and talk. They know how to dress nicely. They can groom themselves. And so this person must like, they're the most high functioning of all the high functionings. But then when they go home, um, they're in bed for a week. They don't speak to anybody. They mm -hmm. don't, all they want to do is read. Showering may or may not happen. All the other kind of self-care stuff, you know, and if, and if they can't do that and they have to go back to a normal life and immediately integrate back in, all the stresses of having to appear very normal, I mean, those catch up to you. Like mm -hmm. it's like your brain under stress, you have to be able to let it go. So yes, in a way, high functioning can be like saying somebody's high functioning, you're trying to say like they have the skills that I require of a friend or a, that I require out of a person that's standing in front of me. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't, I don't know what, what exactly like what benefit it really serves because it, it's not even accurate. It doesn't describe the person's abilities. Mm -hmm. It describes basically how the person was doing the day they were evaluated. Yeah. And that's it. That's all. That's all the information it gives. So, and whether it's evaluated by a medical professional, by a new friend, by a potential date like all of those are evaluations from somebody else and they're giving you the label high functioning but all they're doing is evaluating your they're saying like my my evaluation of your behavior at the moment is this mm -hmm. and so like even at the autism group i know that people would come up that i had just met and say oh well you don't look autistic you mm -hmm. don't seem autistic to me yeah and I had to take a deep breath and be like, well, yes, that's why women are misdiagnosed or underdiagnosed. Mm -hmm. And if you spent some time studying, you know, things about women and not just men, you know, then you would definitely know these things, too. So, I mean, even within our own community, we receive a lot of, you know, we have a lot of internalized ableism. Yeah. Where, and we also, a lot of people take it because it's been given to them as a source of pride by medical professionals, by their parents, by their teachers mm -hmm. is like, I'm high functioning. I'm better than these other autistic people. I mm -hmm. have, I've done the things that the neurotypical people require of me to give me this label. I wasn't, or maybe, and maybe they say like, I wasn't high functioning as a kid, but now I'm high functioning as adult or even now I'm cured. I'm no longer, I'm not, I'm not on the spectrum anymore. I've heard mm -hmm. that before too. Yeah, and me it's too. like, it's like, well, you learn these skills, yes, and that's mm -hmm. great if you want to know how to use those skills, but they're not required of you to be, to get a label of okay. Yeah. Yeah, and like, it also discounts, so say you were, I mean, they don't really say this person's low-functioning autistic, they say like, you're autistic or you're high-functioning autistic, it seems like that, those are the two things, and I like just saying I'm autistic and letting a person just kind of gauge like, what that means because high functioning I in a lot of ways I don't think I am and so just to say like I have a friend who's kind of like like serious not serious but like selective mutism and we've connected over um she's from Scotland I'm sure she probably won't mind me referencing her <laughs> but she's like low verbal like doesn't really do she does a lot of writing and stuff like that and then she has um, it's like her she was telling me about how her life is like so well put together like budgeting wise like per, a perfect budget and like no she knows how to make money and isn't on disability and like isn't you know she could be but like she's like I choose to make my own money I think it's better for me my socially and like confidence wise and like 
she's really good relationships with her family and like a nice boyfriend and like everything is like really well put together she needs like downtime like any autistic person but like in the functionality of her whole life it's like good but like socially she's not like me and for me it's like the total opposite I feel like socially I do pretty well and then like my life it's like I'm, I'm like oh no I'm running on a deficiency of like a hundred dollars out of nowhere <laughs> and then just oh I forgot to get an oil change for like six months or something and or like even uh, if I have a two tasks like I have to walk my dog and brush my teeth in one day sometimes that will take my whole day to do like yesterday I was t- <laughs> Malcolm's like come on <laughs> um like yesterday uh I I was thinking about doing a day in the life episode for YouTube. And then yesterday I was like, man, it took me four hours to decide on lunch. Like, <laughs> but that's what my day in the life would be. I got lunch and then I like came home and I laid on the couch for a while. <laughs> I'm like, that's so the whole, it's like, I'm the opposite. And I feel like it does. It, this is like a theory. This is how I feel. And you can disagree, but saying high functioning or low functioning, it's like, it does a disservice to the community and to, to like people experiencing or people having different experiences so I don't know that's why I like saying autistic (laughs) yeah I mean it there's so much differentiation that happens outside of the community and people I think people are much more sensitive within our community but also we are very much influenced by our parents our peers the world we grew up in so we do have a lot of you know those ableist behaviors that we adopt and just because that's what we're taught to do, right? Mm-hmm. Like we, that's, those are the models we have. Um, so how do you decide to do something different than what you've are always been shown? You have to read, think about it, think about like, what are your values? Like, are your values based on what somebody else, like, do you believe that what somebody else thinks about somebody that day is their qualification? Or do you want to know what their actual skills are and what their challenges are? Because when you really want to get to know somebody, that's what's important is, mm-hmm are those things like the labels like seriously they don't matter like it's it's totally irrelevant and miss and again it's misleading it doesn't mean that that person can't do something it doesn't mean that they can do something neither Mm -hmm. one neither like they both have very little meaning outside of how much can you pretend to be not autistic yeah that's the only meaning it gives like like at your at your best maybe like how much can you be and that's and it doesn't even mean like, cause what if you went in that day and the person who judged you, you weren't doing good that day. Mm-hmm. So then you're low functioning that day because you just couldn't speak to them. You were crying. You had, what if you broke up with your boyfriend the day before and then you mm-hmm. went in to go have this thing? Like you could be a total wreck and not even able to function at a very low level socially. It's just like, why am I even here? Mm-hmm. Like it, it, it's just, it's just no information really. And it, I guess it does more damage than it does good. Yeah. Yeah, I think so too. <laughs> yeah. So um, then we're talking about passing. So this is something that it's like basically I think everyone that I know has at least been taught to pass as neurotypical or you adopt those behaviors so like I have this want to like stim in public but I don't and I find it very like you know I do stim like uh, neurotypical people do too like they'll 
they'll swing their legs or like play with a pen or, you know, like um, rip the label off of their like drink that they're drinking or like that sort of thing or and like I'll do those things and I'll kind of do I've kind of picked up what neurotypical people do because I know that that will fall under the radar but I there's also things that like I want to do like rock back and forth in public and I know that that would be like not bad but whoever I'm with it might make them uncomfortable so like but there's a lot of things that you learn as an autistic person, like, don't do this, and then people will think you're normal. And, like, in a way, that's also kind of, like, it's, like, I don't know, it's, is that, (laughs) it's, like, it makes your life easier in a lot of ways, and then it makes your life so much harder in a lot of ways, too. So, um, yeah, I think I've actually been talking to a lot of people about that, like, like, what is it like to to like have no shame about stimming (laughs) and like that's it's almost like a self like ableist thing to do like just to be like I don't want to appear like I'm autistic in most situations and I'm just gonna say this one experience so I was like at the pharmacy and it was taking forever and pharmacies it's just like bright lights there were a million people there and there was this guy who was just like trying to talk to me and I was like not having it And so while I waited for my prescription, they were going to text me when it happened. I went around to the back of the the Walgreens and I was like just kind of rocking back and forth on my phone. And then I looked over and there was this guy and we met eye contact and I realized like he was also rocking back and forth on his phone behind the Walgreens. Hmm. And then I, I was like, well, it's fine for me to continue doing that but then we both drove away in the opposite direction (laughs) I was like oh my god like we were both just searching for like a secret place to like stim (laughs) it was like this intimate moment between like me and the stranger and I always think about that when I'm like oh I just want to like rock back and forth or like play with the like fidget spinner or something like that in public and not have people being like what (laughs) yeah yeah I mean I try to think about stimming in public. The fidget cubes are good. A lot of people use spinners, right? Mm-hmm. And those are like socially acceptable now. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for me, I've always done a lot of like self-touching mm-hmm. for stimming. I think that is if I've been thinking about that a lot lately. Uh, my dad and my grandma both in their sleep and I do it too. We'll, we'll stick our arms straight up in the air while we're completely dead asleep and pet our own arms. Hmm for an extended period of time. I remember watching my dad do it as a kid and being a little bit creeped out by it and thinking Mm -hmm. he was awake and then being told my grandma did it and then being told that I do it. And Brian has said that he has, I have, he's woken up in the middle of the night and I've just been like, and I'm demonstrating it right now, but just like rubbing and I do it during the daytime. A lot of times when I'm stressed and I'm not Mm -hmm. thinking about it. Um, so I think that could, that may have been something that I've done all my life just to make myself feel better, but not even knowing what I was doing. And because it was acceptable to other people, it was never even brought up as being something that I shouldn't do Mm -hmm. or anything until like I see somebody staring at me for doing it. And then I might stop because I'm like, why is that person staring at me? But I, I don't know that I've ever felt like I couldn't do the things that I wanted to do in that sense. Mm -hmm. Um, But what about, other things like like um i let myself i let myself flap my hands now when i get very like stressed or i want to get like some emotion out at the Mm -hmm. end like just going like yeah that sometimes in the car if i'm really frustrated or sometimes in public if somebody's like 
if we're waiting in line for a long time or like there's a confusing situation or somebody's not being like pleasant or like they're making the situation difficult and there's some kind of argument going Mm -hmm. on and I can feel like I'm getting stressed out like I have a before I may not have done that as much but like now I will catch myself like doing that a little bit and noticing like and I thought like do I feel like what was I doing like why am I doing that and like Mm -hmm. do I feel better but like I think I think when I was younger I would have really really cared Mm -hmm. that other people might not like it but now because I'm accepted by the people that I care about the most Mm -hmm. like if somebody else were to say something to me in public about what I'm doing like I could just if I'm by myself number one people probably aren't going to say anything I can I couldn't even imagine somebody saying something about it, right? Like it's just somebody's look at looking at you or they might treat you weird. I would be more concerned about somebody I know personally and that kind of situation and they're uncomfortable by it. I think I would be more concerned about somebody personal versus like the general public. Mm-hmm. I think that's where I get most of my anxiety is people that I'm going to have to continue to interact with versus people that I'll never see again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I work in catering sometimes. I'm like I don't think that would go over well if I was just doing that as like a catering server, but yeah, in a work environment, yeah, yeah that's different for <laughs> yeah. sure. Yeah, that could have a whole other series of things that. But mm-hmm. then it's asking for accommodations, right? And like, yeah. and why is that weird? And why can't you do that at work? Mm-hmm. Like we, like that's even an ableist thing that I was just saying. And like, well, why yeah. can't? But why can't you flap your hands at work? You're not bothering anybody else if your work's done and you just need to like de-stress what's the difference between that and somebody standing there cracking their knuckles or you know going to the bathroom for a while and just like de-stressing like mm-hmm. why why is it why can't you flap your hands why can't you pet your arm why can't you do these things if it's not harming the food it's not impacting the service yeah like what is wrong with that other than somebody's perception of you right yeah yeah so it's like well I mean, ableism in the work environment, I, when I've applied for jobs, I've often not clicked, like, do you self-identify as having a disability like that? Because sometimes I I think, yeah, I know, because it isn't that just like you going, um, hey, don't hire me. Don't even bring me in for an interview. (laughs) Like, I'm going to need accommodations. Like, that's how I feel. Definitely. So percent. Or they're like, are you comfortable saying what your race is? Like, no. (laughs) You're going to see the name Monique. Well, my name's Monique Loeschenmuller, not Moreau. That's what no one knows. I don't even think Malcolm knows that. But I have your email. Yeah. So it's like, that's my name. Um, and I changed it to Moreau for stand-up comedy. And then I just want people to see that name and go like, hmm, what on earth could this be <laughs> racially? <laughs> and then I, like, I show up and people are like, what? I kind of like that. <laughs> but yeah, so I try not to to self-identify as anything in job interviews but that's like a way for people to be both racist and ableist to go i'm not hiring a person who just self-identified as having a disability like what if they come in and they have like one of a million things like i don't want to have to accommodate that i don't want someone to come in and impact the group yeah the idea that every manager is thinking is how is this person going to impact the group that i have set up Mm -hmm. and so Yes, if you hire an autistic person, you will have to, your, your group dynamic will change. Mm-hmm. But also, it, like you will have to accommodate an autistic person there differently than you would accommodate, because neuro, you're accommodating neurotypical people as well, right? With the mm-hmm. default setting, like things, decisions are made, rules are made to accommodate the default, what we think, straight white male, right? Mm-hmm. 
that is what it's set up for. It's what bathrooms have historically been set up for in, in you know, even our judicial buildings and things like that, right? Mm-hmm. Is that default personage. Um, and anytime you're going to, oh, I lost, totally lost my train of thought thinking about courthouses right now. Yeah. <laughs> okay. What was I talking about? Um, default, like you're changing the group dynamic. Yes, yeah. that's right. Managers. So you have somebody that's coming in that's changing this complete group dynamic. But also, like, uh, the other good thing about autistic people is we think very differently. So mm-hmm. we can also, if we're accommodated, we can really improve group dynamics, improve the overall organization, because you have somebody who's thinking about things in your business completely differently than anybody else that's there. Mm-hmm. And is also very direct, is also very um, loyal. Like, autistic people are known to be loyal, direct. Like, we will stay, if, like, if I could be accommodated at a company with like environmental things and socially, like I would probably stay at the, I would work there and probably stay there for the rest of my life. Yeah. But I have never found a company or a business that would ever do that. Mm -hmm. But I would never want to leave because I wouldn't want to jeopardize it. Same thing in relationships, right? Like you get a relationship, you know, these are the rules. This is how it is. And you don't want to cheat. You don't want to look for something else because if, if all your needs are met, why would you look for a different job? Why would you look for a different thing? But if none of your needs are getting met, you're going to continually look for something Mm -hmm. new. And I think that's why I've cycled through jobs so much. Yeah. I mean, jobs are so hard too. It's like so easy to go like, I don't think I'll do this for longer than a year or so. Like I teach piano and I'm like, I think I'll give this two more years before I'm like looking for something else. But that's mainly just because it's like so hard to maintain interest in like one thing. Like say I found the perfect company to work for. Like what if I I lose interest in that thing that I'm doing? Like it could be anything. It could be even like writing for a TV show. Like how long can I sustain my interest in writing for a TV show? I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, that's like my problem. That's a whole other issue. <laughs> but yeah. yeah. And I think in some businesses, like you can, they have things where you can move around to different departments mm-hmm. and learn different things. Like definitely boredom is a big thing. If I'm actually, I didn't mind to be bored at work as long as I had autonomy of thought. Yeah. So if I didn't have to pretend to do busy work at work, I didn't mind to like do repetitive things over and over again, but I hated if you had to like pretend to be busy doing something when you really all had your work done. It reminded me a lot of like going back to school Mm -hmm. where if you finish first, you just get more work. Yeah. Um, Yeah. That, that doesn't, I mean, that kind of environment doesn't work for me and I would definitely, yeah, those I left, but anything where they could move you around and you could learn new skills all the time. Yeah, I think I would like to, I would love to have a a job like that where like you just get to make things or learn new things and work with people who understand you Mm -hmm. and are willing to accommodate like environmental stuff. Like uh, every business is so cold, by the way. Like, why do you guys have the AC up so high? It makes it so hard to think. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Um, It's like, that's a battle in every office. (laughs) It's like all the hot people are like, just put on a jacket. And all the cold people are like, I don't have a jacket this hot. <laughs> like a jacket, socks, mittens, yeah. a face mask, like, yeah. <laughs> like everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyways, um, that's totally getting off topic. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So for it's like passing um, through other things. I mean, just like, oh, I've heard people who like kind of fake eye contact. And I can't imagine that. That's so exhausting and I did that for a few months I was like maybe I'll try it I'll try to make more eye contact with people and see how it goes and to be honest it was like like I don't I have a viral tumblr post and all the 
all I said on it was like, what information am I supposed to be getting from staring into somebody's eyes? Like, I don't know. I'm like staring at Amanda's eyes. I'm like, I don't know what I'm supposed to be getting. And, um, like, yeah, I don't that is <laughs> funny. Cause I'm like looking at you too. I'm like, what am I getting? I'm like, all I'm doing is listening to your words, but like the rest of your face, I'm just looking at you. Cause you're, that's where the sound <laughs> is coming from, yeah. is from you, but I'm not like, I'm not reading your face for anything other than listening to your words. Yeah. At all. And <laughs> there's that like ABA thing where people go, oh, and they said this in atypical, like look at somebody's face for a couple seconds and then look away for a couple seconds and then look at them for a couple seconds. I'm like, that sounds so tedious. Like that's all I'm going to be thinking about. Um, and then like, that's how people fake being neurotypical too. Just like how, by how much eye contact they make. But I've noticed there are neurotypical people who don't make much eye contact. They're like people who are have like big thoughts and ideas, like idea men or idea men and women, like people who like writing stories or creating things. They'll often just be in their own little dream world and that's fine. So I'm like, why does it matter if I make eye contact at all if there are these like, you know, creative types who never do either? So it's like, that's what I hear though. I'm like, that's so... It, honestly has never made a difference in my life how much eye contact I make except for with my parents <laughs> my parents will always be like look me in the eye when you say that otherwise I think you're lying I'm like Ugh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah that's a good point because that is what a lot that's of people me. think is that like if you are not making eye contact you're being dishonest or you're trying to hide something because mm -hmm. they're looking in your eyes for that information yeah and then also a lot of people when they look at autism because we don't we also are not like emoting those same things that neurotypical people are emoting. And that's oftentimes how I think neurotypical people are able to sense like this person's a little bit different because we're not purposely like giving these micro expressions. Mm -hmm. And I don't think people are doing it really consciously either because most people that you discuss it with, they're like, what are you talking about? They don't mm -hmm. have any idea. But because we were so hyper focused on it, like they're not doing, we're not doing that thing. And so it's like, then they already know something's off. And then we're also like, so yes, I think that training to to have these skills because that's all they are, are skills. It's it's another skill set. It's like learning to um I'm just going to use this for an example because it's easy but learning the slackline. Like mm -hmm. not everybody needs to slackline. It's mm -hmm. not a requirement. Not everybody needs to make eye contact in a social situation. Now, would if you learn how to uh Oh, maybe that wasn't, let's say drive a car. That's maybe a better one. Mm -hmm. So maybe somebody wants the skill to drive a car, mm -hmm. but it doesn't mean they have to drive a car every day. Yeah. Maybe somebody can make conversation with, with a group of people, but they don't have to do it every day. Mm -hmm. Like that's what I think the goal should be for parents, educators, therapists is to give autistic people the training for skills that they want. Mm -hmm. And then also the ability to discern when to use those skills yeah and to give them the empowerment to use them when they feel like they want to use them but not to prescribe this is when you need to use these mm -hmm. skills and said teach it just as you would any other set of skills and then let them use it to achieve their own goals in whatever way they want to achieve those goals now you can model the behaviors you can say this is how a lot of people do it but also maybe like if you know your child or you know your student really well, like or your or your client, you can show them like, but maybe for you, 
because you've engaged their th- theory of mind and you've tried to empathize with this person. Oh, but for you, it might look something more like this mm-hmm. because of these other skills that you have and things like that. And one thing that I saw online was that I really like this. Is instead of viewing people who, well, this person used people first language, but instead of viewing people with autism spectrum disorder as socially awkward individuals who need to be fixed, we should instead conceptualize them as socially creative. They may not do things the right way, but they do them their way. Mm-hmm. And this person's website went on to talk about all these different ways where, I mean, autistic people, we may not act very, like, even if you come to the groups, everybody gets along, talks in the group. I always have a good time going. Mm-hmm. But, like, when other, <laughs> other people come who are not on the spectrum, I think that f- it's a very strange experience for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that they're not used to it. But we all seem to be able to communicate fine. We seem to, like, get, everybody gets along. Everybody's at, at the same table. Multiple different conversations happening. Uh, people jumping around and moving around the table physically. Uh, so this idea of being normal, I think that we really just need a new model or a model that's more appropriate to autistic people. For Here's a, here's a way to integrate these skills without using specific labels saying like you're high functioning, you're low functioning, rather like here's a list of skills that autistic people commonly um, struggle with and mm-hmm. that you may need to learn to be able to meet the goals that you want to meet in your own life. Yeah. I think that that's a more realistic and helpful way to set up the mm-hmm. idea of learning it's re- and it's really it's work for us in theory of mind like we also have to employ th- i mean we have to do it by default for survival learning about neurotypical people and their behaviors because if we don't like we'll just get railroaded through life like we can't survive if we don't learn about how to how to interact but we don't have just because we learn just because uh, just because neurotypical people learn about us doesn't mean they have to be autistic and just because we learn about them doesn't mean we have to be neurotypical yeah i guess is what i'm and that's that's also something i tweeted one time um if you identify with an autistic character in a movie, it doesn't mean that you're autistic. It just means you're realizing that autistic people are also human. And that was something (laughs) that's something that a lot of people really like, they liked it a bunch. And it's like, I always get that um, people when there's not a new autistic character in a TV show or movie, all of a sudden there'll be like a huge rush of people on like Tumblr and Reddit and like in Facebook groups going like, I think I'm autistic because I really like the character who was autistic. Like I really identify with like his introversion or something like that or her introversion or her um, struggles with relationships. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, no, I mean, you can, I mean, I would like you to learn more about autism. Like that's, (laughs) that's why I'm always on board with people going through that journey. (laughs) But like if you're not it's you a lot of the times it's just that you're realizing autistic people are also just like you know real people real characters who are you know dynamic just as dynamic as like neurotypical characters so yeah it's just like if you as a woman like a male character like you're not doesn't make you a male yeah right or if you (laughs) as a if you as a jewish woman like a uh um let's say a let's even say like a dog on tv right <laughs> yeah. like i like that character of a dog mm-hmm. like that doesn't automatically make me a dog right yeah. like i just identify with whatever <laughs> kind of thing that 
the writer wanted me to identify with, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's their purpose is to get you to emotionally connect with the story. Yeah. Regardless of whether or not you are identical to identical. Am I saying that word right? It sounds weird. Identical to the character. Yeah. I feel like I'm saying it weird, but (laughs) to the character that's on the screen. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, yeah, that always is really interesting to me. It's like when people all of a sudden just go, or I've seen that too with like bipolar characters where all of a sudden I'm not bipolar, but like all of a sudden I'll see people going like, I like this movie. Does that mean I'm bipolar? Like on Yahoo answers and stuff like, no, well maybe, but probably not. (laughs) Um, yeah. (laughs) So I don't know. I think that it's like weird because yeah, you do have to pass as NT in certain situations. I think if I like freaked out and like had a bad experience with say a cop when they were pulling me over, that would be really, really bad. So that's like one of those situations where like, okay, yeah, passes NT. <laughs> that's perfectly fine. But like in my relationship, for instance, I was talking to my husband, like, what do you, what would you feel like if I like stimmed more publicly? And he was like, well, you stim all the time. Like I don't even notice anymore. And I was like, I don't even notice <laughs> when I'm with you. He's like, you fidget all the time. Like you never like sit still. Like we'll watch a movie and I'm always like up and down and like sit and then like move switch positions and like get something and play with it. And then, and he's like, well, you do that. Like if my brain just goes like blind to it, he's like, you also fidget when you sleep. And now I can't sleep when you're not lying next to me because I'm so used to fidgeting and somebody fidgeting next to me. (laughs) So it's like, I think that he probably definitely would not notice that much. So, and I don't know. And really, like, that's the thing is, like, using the, you use these skills in very, like, specific instances Mm -hmm. to achieve the goal you want. Like, you don't want to go to jail. You don't want to have a bad experience with a law enforcement officer. So you're like, okay, I'm going to use all the skills I know Mm -hmm. to get the outcome that I want in this situation because I know that this person has no concept of what autism is. Or I'm going to assume that they have no concept of what autism is. They're not Mm going to treat me right if I don't appear to be, you know, who they want, who they're expecting me to be. So I need Mm -hmm. to be this very passive, nice, happy, bubbly female. Like, oh, hi, officer. Like, that. Mm -hmm. oh, I'm so sorry. I have no idea what happened. Like, like you can totally tell, like I can change my voice and be it. That's, that is my voice when I'm trying to be a very nice, happy, bubbly person, because it is a totally different character that Mm -hmm. I put on. Um, and it's not, and people get very, I think taken aback because when you interact with me one-on-one, I'm very direct. I'm very like, this is what it is. Like if I make a mistake, I'm sorry. If you know, whatever, like it's just, everything's always very direct. And so people are usually taken aback by that, especially when they've only met me in very like social group situations or situations where um, I needed to present as very neurotypical. And I'm Mm -hmm. very like, oh, hi, it's so nice to meet you. Oh, wow, I love your dress. I love your hair. I love your glasses. Like (laughs) you find something about the person you love and that you can gush over. Like I get all that. Like, but I would, I mean, for me, like never feel like you guys ever have to do that to me if you know me in person, like Mm -hmm. just you can just say hi like yeah <laughs> and we can move on to talking about something that we both want to talk about yeah and that's yeah getting off yeah <laughs> but yeah it is like it is a character because i have a character um my friends would always be like who are you just talking to on the phone and I, i'm like oh my parents are like you talk so different to them they'll be like hi how are you like what's up oh yeah, I'm great. I'm amazing. Like I never would tell my parents like, oh, everything sucks and I need you to pay my 
rent in like two weeks (laughs) (laughs) like um but yeah I would always like put on this like bubbly persona and and always tell my parents like things are great and everything's awesome and like oh yeah how's like things that I don't would never care about like how what's the weather like there like oh it's Canada it's cold I know you're gonna say that (laughs) like just do that and then my friends would always be like what who was that like why were you talking like that and so you have like I have like characters in my life it's like a way to pass as NT like a way for people to not be like what's wrong like why are you (laughs) yeah why are you different yeah it's Mm -hmm. and you like that is what we are trained to do and it's nice that's the thing that was so nice is I realized that that was not all my life, I try. I think I always tried to be that person. Mm-hmm. I always wanted, like, eventually, if I practiced being that person that much, like, eventually, I would be her. Like, yeah. I would really think like that. I would be able to do those things. Mm-hmm. And I think finding out that I was autistic, I realized that this is me. Mm-hmm. This is the me that I'm not going to have. Men- I'm not going to be under constant mental duress. Yeah. If I can just learn to live as this person and be okay being this person rather than being this person that needs to please everybody else and mm-hmm. get um, constant. I mean, that, the other thing, like it's compliance training, right? You grow mm-hmm. up with, you have to be compliant. You have to do these things. And for me in my house, it was be compliant or be hit. So mm-hmm. if you didn't do what you were supposed to do, like you were going to go to the room, you were going to bend over the bed and you were going to get a spanking mm-hmm. or my mom was going to flick my lips, smack me upside the head. I mean, any number of different physical Uh, things were going to happen to me if I wasn't compliant. So that's how I learned to be very NT is because if I wasn't, then I was going to be physically assaulted by my parents. Yeah. So (laughs) I basically learned that if I don't have these behaviors, like I'm going to get hurt. So I learned those behaviors. Mm -hmm. So now that I don't have to be that person anymore for fear of getting hurt, like I'm learning now to, you know, set boundaries, which I never in my life even knew what that was until just a few weeks, a few months ago. Mm -hmm. Um, being able to, you know, know my own limits, know like what can I, what, at what point, you know, can't I deal with things from other people? At what point do I have to have time for myself? At what, you know, cause I always want to give everything to everybody. I want everybody to be included. I want to be there for everybody. I want to mm-hmm. give feedback to everybody, but then I lose myself in that too. Mm-hmm. And so I think like being able to understand, okay, I don't have to be this this woman who takes care of everybody and gives everybody all the advice and all the feedback and everybody tells me everything they want to tell me and I can just draw lines. I mean, that empowered me so much. Mm-hmm. Like I felt so much better being able to do that and knowing if people didn't like that and they didn't like me, then it was okay. Like it was, it's totally fine. Like it's okay for somebody to not like you. Cause there's a lot of people out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean like, yeah, there's a, a whole lot of pressure to just like be a different person I definitely felt like there were things where I was like I need to have a career and a job and like I never stayed at a job for more than like yeah a couple or I would quit and then my bosses would beg for me to come back because I was like I somehow would make myself an integral part of a team <laughs> so it's like when I would quit they'd be like oh my god you can't quit you're the only person who does this <laughs> and then I'd be like nah I'm going to Disneyland like screw this and like then I would be really hard on myself for not passing and not being able to like hold the job and not being able to like do what other what like everyone around me was doing was like I've been at my company for five years and I have a 401k and like I have stuff set set away from retirement and I'm 27 years old like oh my god I don't think that's ever gonna be me like I have stuff in retirement fund but like it's not as much as like that person that I just described but yeah it's like like 
there's so much less pressure to do that stuff. And when you stop focusing on passing and it's like a self ableism too. It's like, like I was ableist with myself (laughs) to like be as normal as possible. So I don't know. I guess that's like tying everything together. (laughs) Yeah. It it totally does. Right. They're all, they're all interrelated. Mm -hmm. I mean, we want, we want to be accepted. That's the thing, right? Mm -hmm. Everybody wants acceptance. They want validation from other people. They want to know that they're okay as a person. They're okay as a human being that they, you know, other people love them and care about them and that they have value Mm -hmm. and people will do anything to get that. They'll, you know, autistic people will try to pass as neurotypical to get that from other people. Yeah. Um, People who are, um, I mean, children will do that for their parents um people do that in relationships like i think you know it's it's just hard being alive sometimes Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) yeah so i think that's the end of our podcast i have like we have like a minute or so but i wanted to say i we were i did a i've been listening to autastic podcast this is kind of sort of off topic well no not really um and Autastic Podcast, it's like a dad of a autistic son and a brother of an autistic brother, <laughs> an, an adult autistic man. And they have a podcast called Autastic, and they always use person-first language. And on this podcast, we don't. Well, And like if we do, it's like, an, you know. Quoting somebody. Yeah, usually. And so I tweeted at them, well, in the community, we tend to use just, we tend to say autistic or like, like we'll self-identify as things like Aspies or autists. We, like in our group, I did that um, quiz. Like, how do you self-identify? And no one said person with autism. Like that was at zero. Everyone else was like one variant of autistic or Aspie of some sort yeah. or on the spectrum. And I tweeted at them and they did a shout out on the podcast, on their podcast. And they said, well, we're going to continue using person first language because we don't want to offend parents and educators of autistic people or of people with autism. And I wanted to say, maybe they'll listen to this, even though this is at the end that like, you should pretty much defer to the community itself. Like there's so many people who don't even know that the community exists. Like we talk to each other as autistic people. We, we, have our preferences and our preferential like how we want to be identified and that's really important you can't just go i just don't want to offend a parent who has no idea the community even exists <laughs> so yeah and i 100 percent agree with what monique is saying those guys i'm sure you guys monique says actually your podcast is pretty good yeah it's uh, like, which is surprising for neurotypical people who are talking about autistic people yeah. so i was surprised that she said that but uh-huh. definitely in any community whether it's autistic people, whether it's um, Mexican people, whether it's deaf people, whether like it's... Like LGBT. Like. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Like, yeah. You give the person the respect they want by referring to the person how they want to be referred to. Yeah. That's, it's simple. Yeah. Like, it's not your decision to make to decide how to refer to somebody else. It's their decision. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and I also think that kind of like goes into ableism too. Just like, I, I am going to ignore what a whole community prefers in favor of parents and educators and specialists. Like, okay, great. That's like the most ableist thing you can do. (laughs) Um, 
But anyways, so we're at the end of the podcast. <laughs> and um, so you can reach us at um, info at ASDpodcast.com or on the website. We have a comment section. Uh, it's public, but you can also email us um, and tweet at us. At, I'm at Big Bad Butt. Don't be afraid to tweet at me. Um, Amanda's at love you. Bye bye. Uh, we have Instagram's mine's at Monique and Jiminy and Amanda's is at love you. Bye bye bye. And then we have the Facebook group, which we re- referenced a lot today and it's spectrum of possibilities. Just put that in the Facebook search function and we'll approve you if you answer the questions. <laughs> yes, please answer the questions. So yeah. we know the, who you are. We've had a couple of people join the group who are spammers. And so that's, I mean, just put something in there so we know that you actually like, even if it's something like I'm autistic, like I'm totally cool with you saying that. Yeah. And that's the only answer you want to put. That's fine. Just mm-hmm. let us know you're not a spammer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So thank you so much for listening. This is our 10th episode. So yeah. we're. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And um, yeah, Malcolm wants to throw us a party. So <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> All right. So thank you so much, everyone. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye. Thank you.